Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Wesley Agri out in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, a great evangelist who preaches the gospel with power, and I'm going to bring him on. We're going to be talking about the anointing evangelist. Wesley, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, TJ. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. I'm excited to get into uh, the topic today. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I've been watching Evangelist Wesley uh, since he started preaching. He's in the ministry. This is his second year, I think. Yeah. Second year of ministry, yep. and uh, he's a great minister who preaches the unadulterated doctrine of the Word of God. And in his meetings, he's seen many people uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost, people set free, people uh, just getting touched by the power of God. Matter of fact, before we go on to anything else, can you tell me, I know this is off the cuff, but can you tell me one of the outstanding um, miracle testimonies or something you've seen God do in your meetings that just stands out from the rest? Yeah. Um, last year in September, I believe, I think it was, I was preaching in a town called Ahoski, North Carolina. And I preached on the Monday night of that session. I was there for two nights, a message entitled, Why You Can Be Guaranteed God Wants to Heal You. I found that when you preach boldly and you put God, uh, you know, to the point where you say, in your preaching, God's going to do this for you. People's faith rises to a high point. So there was a man there that night named Jeff who had suffered a stroke. He had lost the ability to lift his left arm, shoulder, face was drooped, couldn't cut his hair anymore. And he came up to get saved that night. And I laid my hands on him and the power of God touched him. And I said, Jeff, do what you couldn't do before. And what was funny was I had everybody raise their hands for the uh, sinner's prayer. And his wife was behind him freaking out because he's lifting the hand he couldn't lift before. And I said, Jeff, what's happened to you? He goes, I don't know. And in saying, I don't know, he shrugs his uh, shoulders up. And his wife goes, he couldn't do that before. Hallelujah. So that was probably one of the mightiest miracles I've seen through my own ministry up to this point. One of my favorite parts about that Praise service God. was um, I had the Lord give me a word of knowledge that was kind of interesting. I saw in my spirit, head, whatever, an image of a deer running by. But I knew this isn't about hunting. I knew this meant he was a sportsman of some type. And I asked Jeff, I said, Jeff, are you a sportsman? Do you do outdoor activities? And his wife says, uh, wife told me, before he had the stroke, he was an avid fisherman. And he hasn't been able to fish since that point. And I said, Jeff, God loves you so much. He wow. even cares about your ability to fish. Amen. And uh, what, what was interesting was if God had showed me a fish, I would have said, you know, do you like to fry fish? Because to me that that wouldn't have, have registered. So God speaks to you the way that you will understand so that you can get his delivering power to the people. Amen. Hallelujah. That's awesome. And that's exactly why today we're going to talk about the anointing, the subject of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because that everything that happened in that meeting was a result, direct product of the Holy Spirit's presence. That's the Holy Ghost. Right. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the manifestation of the Spirit brings profit to all. That was the manifestation of the Holy Ghost through the word of knowledge, through the working of miracles that brought that man out of a paralyzing uh, 
a paralyzed body due to a stroke and that left him stranded so he couldn't even do what he wanted to do most, which was fishing, a, a passion of his heart. It was the anointing. You know, Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus is the one that prayed the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus did not do that so that you can endure life or just get by in life. The anointing was given so you could enjoy life, so that you can be set free. Acts 10.38, no doubt you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. Everything Jesus did was by the anointing. And the Bible says what that anointing did. It healed all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And I pray at the beginning of this broadcast that every one of you watching me, and Evangelist Wesley, no matter what the enemy's done to you, no matter what it's been, if it's in your body, if it's in your mind, if it's in your family or in your home, there's nothing the devil's done to you that the anointing of the Holy Spirit cannot remove from your life and not 15 years from now, here and now. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The anointing comes on the scene to bring freedom to the children of God and it will be no different for you. So set your heart to receive from God today. Put your expectation. Let your faith have a target today as we teach on the anointing. Don't just sit to be informed. Sit to be transformed. That's what the very first thing the anointing did to Saul. The Bible says when the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, he was transformed into another man. It'll be no different for you today. As the anointing comes into your room and invades and floods into your place, wherever location you're at right now, if you're watching it in your car, if you're watching it in your shower, if you're watching it in your living room, wherever you're at, that the anointing will flood that room and anything that's, that um, is identified as an object of concern or an issue that causes you sorrow and weighs you down. That thing is going to be removed from your life. So set your faith to have a target today. If you're believing God for healing, set your faith for that. If you're believing God for deliverance in your mind, depression, anxiety, whatever, spirit of fear, there's nothing. I'm telling you once again, there's nothing the enemy's put on your life that the anointing won't take, take off your life by the time we're done this broadcast. So let's get in. First things first, what is the anointing? What is the anointing of the Holy Spirit? And I've come up with a, a, a brief description, and I'll pass it over to you, Wesley, after this. But the anointing, briefly said, is the tangible glory of God at work in a person or in a place. It is the tangible glory of God, the power of God. Because a lot of people, they don't understand uh, the difference between the anointing of God and just the presence of God. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But His anointing is not manifest in every place. He's everywhere at once. But you go to a strip club, there ain't no anointing there. There's an anointing of the devil, but there's not an anointing of God there. The anointing is not just God's presence, because God's presence is everywhere. It is the manifest presence of God that um, comes to affect change in an environment or in a person or in a place. The anointing is heaven's equipment. So it's not just the tangible presence of God, but it's also heaven's equipment given to the believer to get heaven's assignment done. Zechariah 4, 6, it is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. Nothing gets done without the anointing. You have people that I know that Pastor Rodney Howard Brown always says this. He says, some are called to the ministry 
uh, and anointed for it. Some just bought a microphone and went. Some are sent. Some bought a microphone and went. And that's true. When God sends someone, there's an anointing that comes alongside to get the task done. When someone just goes and they, you know, they just see, wow, that's, you know, I don't feel like doing, they, they see ministry as like a scapegoat to work. That, well, I can just, you know, get into the ministry and, and, and take up offerings and, and you know, I'll, I'll, God will supply all my needs and all that. But they don't understand that the ministry is not something you take upon yourself. It's like divine calling. And ministry is not spelled L-A-Z-Y. Ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. And um, there's a lot of people in pulpits of America and Canada who, who don't, do not have that, un that unction, that anointing, the unction to function. And you can see it in how they speak. There's a notable difference between someone who speaks by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and someone who's just speaking to speak. And um, I mean, I got saved in 2012 and within three months, I can tell the difference. There's a massive difference. You can have two people that say the exact same words and speak the exact same sermon and preach the exact same outline of any sermon. And yet one of them will produce salvation, miracles, and testimonies. And the other one, it's just... Empty words going into empty heads, producing empty results. But I believe that in these last days, God is raising up men and women in the body of Christ that are going to carry heaven's anointing to get heaven's assignment done, to bring in the last day harvest. And Evangelist Wesley is one of those guys. Evangelist Wesley, let me know your thoughts on the anointing and what is the anointing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that definition that you gave, TJ, I like. Uh, something uh, that I've used especially in uh, youth meetings that I've done over the last two years traveling and preaching uh, to help a new generation understand these things because what I've noticed is there has arisen a new generation, as the Bible says, who knew not the Lord nor the works he had done right. for Israel or for, in our context, his people. And so the definition that I've been running with the last two years concerning the anointing is the tangible, transferable power of God that sets every captive free. Hallelujah. Now, I'll develop that in a few minutes, but I want to comment, TJ, on something that you just said about God raising up people in this final hour of time. You know, something that I'm convinced by is that God has called us to serve our generation. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 36 concerning David that David did not die until he had served God's right. purpose in his own generation. So what that should tell you is you're not on the earth just to exist. If it was just get saved and go right to heaven, you would have been raptured the moment you gave your life to Christ. But the fact that you're still here speaks to the fact that God has something for you to do. And what I want you to get today is that when you understand that you're on the earth to serve a purpose, you're here to be God's agent of deliverance and liberation, you don't complain about what you see going on in your generation. I'm in Generation Z. I feel called to my generation. So I don't complain about my generation. Oh, what a wicked generation. How lazy. Can you believe what these young people are doing? Yes, I can believe it. Why? The Bible says that there's a veil over their eyes and they're being influenced by the spirit and power that's over their life. And it needs to get broken by the power and by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so when you realize, hey, I'm here to serve a biblical divine 
purpose. You don't complain. You don't grope and and whatever. You say, God, here am I. Fill me with your power and use me to set a generation free. God never, hear me, never leaves himself without a witness in every generation. That's a Bible principle. Whenever darkness or sin or wickedness or whatever it is encroaches itself upon a generation, God's answer is to put his power and his anointing on men and women who are willing to do what it takes to see their generation set free by the power of God. And if we are going to be those people that are servants in our generation, that realize I exist to serve a divine purpose, we're going to have to understand that there is a power in God, hear me, that is greater than anything that the devil or hell could forge against you. This anointing, this power of the Holy Ghost that we're talking about is lethal to all the power of the enemy. And it is the superior power. There's no struggle. I'm sure we've all seen um, that photo of Jesus versus the devil. There is no struggle concerning the power of God and the puny, pathetic power that the devil thinks he has. The power of the anointing, when it shows up on the scene, represents the power of a superior kingdom, where all you have to do is walk in with that power and fire on your life. And everything, hear me, that is not like God has to walk out for free. Somebody type amen. Praise Hallelujah. God. Hallelujah. Which leads me to the next point, why you have to be anointed. Why you must be anointed. Why you must seek to be anointed. You know, the anointing doesn't just fall on people haphazardly. You're not just walking around and then suddenly the anointing hits you in the face like a bird hitting a guy on a roller coaster on the downhill slope. The anointing comes to those that are hungry. The anointing is attracted to hunger. And you see that hunger. You know, the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha is hearing that his master is about to be taken from him in a chariot of fire. And the Bible says, you know, Elijah had many sons of the prophets, but Elisha was the only one that stood close to him. And for days on days, Elisha kept trying to lose Elisha. He said, stay here, I'm going to go to the next town. He didn't want to like break, he didn't want Elisha to see what was going to happen. And so he kept on moving to the next town. But Elisha said, as the Lord God lives, I'm not leaving your side. I'm not leaving your side. You carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit and I want to be around that anointing and I don't want to be anywhere else where the anointing ain't flowing. I want the anointing of God and that anointing's on you. And so finally, when Elijah was about to be taken up, he asked the question to Elisha, before I'm taken up, what do you want from me? What do you want? Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Remember, remember Elijah was not poor. Elijah had a, a very big ministry in his day. He had property. He had land. He had a school. He had influence with the king. He had influence with the army and the general of the army. He could have asked for anything. Elijah could have easily have said, hey, Elijah, you mind giving me some money? Do you mind getting me some land? Do you mind get putting in a good word with the king? Do you mind getting me all these materialistic things? He could have easily have asked that and Elijah would have given it to him. But what did Elisha ask? Elisha said, don't leave without giving me a double portion of the spirit that rests upon you. Don't leave unless you give me a double portion of what's on you. Elijah, Elisha was uh, in actual fact saying, I know what that anointing in you produced in your life. The land you have, 
the influence you have, the ability to speak and things happen. All of that is not because you're something special. Remember, James in James chapter 5 talks about Elijah being a man of like nature. He was an ordinary person. That's what the anointing does. It takes ordinary men and ordinary women put something extraordinary in them that empowers them to do exploits for the kingdom of heaven on the earth. That, uh, I think it was A.E. Shuttlesworth, Evangelist Jonathan's grandfather, who said that God will take a nobody, put his spirit in him, make him a somebody without the help of anybody. And that's what the anointing did for Elijah. Remember, Elijah was just a, a guy from uh, Tishba or whatever he was, wherever he was from. And uh, he, 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 he wasn't making noise at all until the anointing came on him for service. Then he made noise. Then he got influence. Then he, he ended up becoming like a nation in a man that everywhere he went, kings. Remember, King Ahab said, you're the troubler of Israel. Your presence in Israel is troubling the wicked agenda that I want to establish in this land. That's what the anointing is going to do. I'm telling you, Kenneth Hagin wrote a book called The Triumphant Church, talking about the end time church. A lot of people think that the end time church is going to be some weak, dilapidated, broken, bruised, boring, dull, dead entity that's just waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us. But the Bible says Jesus is coming back for a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. A church that is occupying by the anointing until he comes. That anointing in the people of God in these last days is going to do what it did in Elijah in Israel. It's going to trouble the wicked, disruptive agendas of the Antichrist. Remember, it is the Holy Ghost in the church that is restraining the Antichrist spirit from fulfilling what he desires to do on the earth. Think of it. If the Holy Ghost in the church, the very presence of God in the people of God is able able to restrain, disrupt, distract, derail the Antichrist from implementing his plans on the earth scale, a global scale, how much more do you suppose that anointing in you will interrupt and disrupt and derail any attack of the devil in your home? If your presence can actually thwart the Antichrist's agenda in a nation, what do you think that that presence of the Holy Ghost in you will do for your home? That any type of demon of depression that has come on your children, any type of anxiety. You know, some people that are watching, you have children that they have panic attacks. Something just comes on them and they have this crippling fear. It paralyzes them. Their heart is palpitating. They don't know what to do. That's a work of a spirit of fear. You have a greater spirit than the spirit of fear in them. For greater is he that lives in you than he that's in the, that, that is in the world or he that might be operating in your children. God has put the anointing in you to take off authority in your home. And so this is why Elisha saw, this is what was produced by the anointing in Elijah's house, in Elijah's life. And he asked, Lord, I want, or Elijah, I want a double portion of what, what's been on you that's produced that through your life. I want a double portion of that on my life. And that's what he got. There was a hunger there. You know, Jesus, this is under the heading, why you must seek to be anointed. Jesus, the Son of God, made flesh. The one who is called Messiah, the Savior of the world, who emptied himself. In Philippians 2, it says, he emptied himself of his divine glory, came in the appearance of a man. The Bible says for 30 years, he didn't make any noise. Nobody even knew who he was. There was a few rumors about his immaculate conception. There was a, obviously some noise about it 
at 12 years old, Mary being a terrible parent and leaving him in the temple. But outside of that, yeah, you know, it's not like the gospel of Judas or Thomas, whatever it was, that he's like making uh, doves in the sand and blowing on them and the doves are coming to life. That wasn't happening. That's not canon. That's not scripture. That's a false gospel. Jesus didn't do any mighty miracles, didn't do anything until, until when? Luke 3. The Bible says he went to the Jordan to be baptized by John in the wilderness and coming up out of the water, he prayed, the heavens were open and the Spirit of God came upon him. That's when Jesus got anointed. And when Jesus got anointed, John chapter 2 says, and this beginning of signs and wonders did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. That's when the supernatural began to pop off. Jesus did not attempt any great things for God until he was anointed. If Jesus did not attempt great things for God until he was anointed, then you should not attempt great things for God until you are anointed. You know, you look at the, the disciples in Luke chapter 24, 49. Jesus tells the disciples, don't even seek to go out and accomplish this great commission until you are clothed with power from on high. Until you're clothed with power from on high. That was Jesus referencing the anointing. He said, don't even try and win the loss. Don't even try and get out. And you're going to get your tail whipped by the enemy in any city that you go until you're clothed with power from on high. Peter was converted from a weak little fisherman into a strong spokesman for the kingdom of God by the anointing. But it was after he got clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says that um, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes on you. And the Holy Ghost is interchangeable with the anointing. The Holy Ghost comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. So these are a few reasons why you have to seek to be anointed. Why you need, you should desire earnestly, covet earnestly the Holy Spirit's moving and power in your life. If the disciples couldn't get anything done without the anointing, if Elisha noticed the anointing's work in Elijah's life, that that was what produced everything. If Jesus himself said, I can do nothing by my own initiative, but only what the Father and the anointing does in and through me, then we are foolish and prideful to think that we can get anything done without that tangible glory at work in our life. Remember, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You have any thoughts, Evangelist Wesley? I do. Yeah, I just, I just didn't want to jump you in case no, you no, were you go ahead or something. Um, yeah, I think a point that you made that I think is a natural kind of... Uh, transition point is you were talking about both in the context of uh, Elijah and Elisha and about Jesus that the anointing has to do with the Holy Spirit upon upon a person upon an uh, individual that comes to do a specific thing uh, what you have to know today about the anointing is whenever the anointing shows up on the scene it shows up for a specific purpose there's always a work or a reason for which the Holy Ghost is manifesting himself in that way. Uh, I want to show your audience today, TJ, if I may, something in uh, Luke chapter 4. If uh, those that are watching, you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, TJ mentioned it concerning uh, the baptism of Jesus and the Holy Ghost coming upon him and the fact that Jesus did no works. He did no miracles. Luke said, that it was at 30 years of age Jesus began in the ministry. What happened that caused Jesus to begin his public ministry? He was baptized in or filled with the Holy Spirit. So Luke chapter 4 tells us that Jesus, immediately after being baptized in the Jordan, 
was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And at the end of that 40-day period, he came out of the wilderness, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit. Type that in the comments, in the power of the Spirit. And so we pick up where I just want to read very quickly today, Luke chapter 4, verse number 14. I'm just going to read this uh, quick passage. Um, for those who may have heard of me before or whatever, um, I try to read the Bible um, as best as I can because one thing that I've learned, and I know I've talked to uh, TJ about this, is that there's a new generation that has arisen that has never heard this stuff before. Right. Uh, whatever fluff they're getting in youth group or whatever, uh, you know, is beyond me and my understanding. But uh, there's a generation on the earth that has never heard about the anointing. They've never heard that there is a power in God that can set them free. And isn't it just like the devil to keep people in the darkness so he can continue his work of control, perversion, whatever, on a generation? I declare today in the name of Jesus Christ, this broadcast is going to set some people free. And you will never be the same in the name of Hallelujah. Jesus Christ. Okay, if you're not there by now, uh, you clearly have issues turning in your Bible. All right, Luke <laughs> chapter 4, verse number 14. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out throughout that surrounding region. And he taught in the synagogue, being glorified by all. Then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that the time of the Lord's favor has now come. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Hallelujah. Now, first and foremost, what Jesus was doing here was revealing to every single person in that synagogue, Hey, I am the promised Messiah. I am the anointed one. How do we know that? Jesus was quoting from a messianic passage. Isaiah 61 is where he's quoting from. Right. Everybody would have, that would have heard Jesus would have known. He's saying he's the Messiah. Jesus was saying, hey, I am the anointed one. I'm the one that was prophesied that was going to come that would save his people from their sins. Hey, I'm the one that was prophesied concerning your light coming. I'm the light and I'm here right now. And Jesus was declaring to the entire world, I am the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one. For those uh, in our Western world, we often say Jesus Christ. All that means is anointed one, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title, his authority, and the power that's on him as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. But secondarily, what Jesus was revealing here, and this is the point that I want to make, TJ, concerning what we're talking about, is Jesus was revealing what it was he was anointed to do, or what I often refer to as the functions of the anointing. What does this anointing, this power of the Spirit, do in the life of an individual? 
Now notice, Jesus declared, reading from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So we know that the anointing has to do with the Spirit of uh, God being upon. Uh, Kenneth Hagin, who TJ mentioned, often taught about the Spirit upon and the Spirit within. Right. The Spirit upon referring to the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that can set any person free. And so Jesus begins to detail what this anointing, this spirit upon, this power upon him uh, was meant and purposed to do. So very quickly, I just want to read these through to show you something that maybe you've never seen it this way before or whatever, but this is going to help you. Jesus said here first in verse 18, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the Sorry. poor. Well, what's interesting about this here is, if I was a poor person, like someone that was really poor, like stuck bound in the spirit of poverty, let me just say poverty is not a blessing. Poverty, the Bible says, is a curse. There's actually a spirit, a wicked spirit, that is responsible for poverty, to take everything you have, make it so that you can work, 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 and work, and just ne you know, never have anything to show for it. The Bible calls poverty a curse and part of the curse of the law. So the only good news that I could think of to a person that's in poverty is, hey, I'm here now, and you don't have to be stuck in that poverty spirit anymore. That's right. Well, as most uh, good, uh, how do I want to say this so it's not overly offensive? As most good religious Christians often are, I had a lady come up to me at the end of a meeting and said to me, oh, Brother Wesley, you young evangelist, don't you realize that this is referring to spiritual poverty, not material poverty? Jesus was talking about the poor in spirit. And I love Jesus because Jesus said, it will be given to you what you are to say in that day. And so I said, ma'am, with all due respect, if Jesus meant spiritual poverty here, he would have said that. Because in the uh, Beatitudes, Jesus refers to the That's poor right. in spirit. It was, would have been easy for him to say the poor in spirit. I said, likewise, Isaiah would have said the poor in spirit. The Holy Ghost who inspired the scripture to be written would have said the poor in spirit. So with all due respect, I don't see that in the text. And we have to go by the Bible, people. Come on. So what I begin to realize is Jesus was saying, I am anointed to meet every material need. Material need. See, Jesus was the one who showed up on the scene when Peter and the company had fished all night and brought nothing in. Suddenly, he, Jesus, the anointed one, and his anointing shows up on the scene, and all of a sudden, not only is Peter's boat sinking, but his entire company's boats right. are sinking. Jesus, the anointed one, and his anointing preaches the gospel, the good news to some 5,000 not counting women and children, and all of a sudden, he's got a feast the world has never seen to feed everybody, and there's so much so left over that there's 12 baskets in excess. He's the one that when it's time to come to pay your taxes, all of a sudden, Jesus says, just go fishing, and you'll find everything you need to pay what you owe to the IRS. Jesus said, I'm anointed to meet every material need. Take note of that. He goes on to say, he has, anointed, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus here was saying, I am anointed to meet every emotional and mental need. 
This word here, brokenhearted, literally means someone that has been absolutely shattered. TJ had mentioned it before. Somebody who's in such a place of oppression and such a place of attack in their mind or maybe something's happened in life, a uh, 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 divorce, abuse, a situation that should have never happened. And you are utterly and totally shattered beyond repair. Medication won't help. Therapy won't help. Jesus said this anointing on me. Hear me, Jesus. Jesus said this is to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted. Other translations say to bind up, like to take an ace bandage and wrap around a person to put together with such supernatural delicacy and accuracy that there's no way you could ever tell there was a problem before. Jesus said, this anointing on me is to meet every single emotional, mental need. Right. How many are getting it? Hopefully you are in the comments. I'm not looking. Uh, next, he goes on to say, to proclaim liberty to the captives. I want to skip the part that talks about blind for now. To set at liberty all those who are oppressed. Jesus here was saying, I am anointed, and this anointing on me is to meet every single spiritual need. Let me explain that to you. Jesus says, I've come to bring liberty, which means absolute total freedom. And I am convinced, TJ, and I know that you are as well, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it is preached in its fullness, is a message of total liberation right. for, the entirety, for, for the entirety of the human experience. There is nothing that hell can do to you that the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost does not already have the solution for you. Anyways, I'll just move along, but came up in my spirit. Jesus said liberty to the captives. What is a captive? Somebody who is held against their will. People that are trapped in invisible prisons, being held by sin they can't get free from, held by attack in their mind, depression, mental disorder, so on and so forth, whatever it may be. Then he goes on to say, I've come to set at liberty all those who are oppressed. What is oppression? Someone who's weighed down. We've all seen them in life, people that look like they have two sandbags on their shoulders everywhere they go, heavy, oppressed, afflicted, just look like life is no longer worth living. Jesus said, I've come to bring everybody out of spiritual prisons and ensure to it that they're in total and absolute freedom. And then that, that verse, that last part of the verse that I skipped there for the sake of just saying it in order, he says, and recovery of sight to the blind. How many remember Sister Unbelief that I just mentioned? Uh, Sister Unbelief, the same one, uh, said to me in the same meaning, well, Brother Wesley, I guess I can see now what you mean about poor. I, I guess I can see that. But, uh, you know, when it refers to the eyes of the blind, that's clearly referring to spiritual blindness. I mean, there's no promise we see in the Bible of physical healing, especially not today. That died out with the last apostle. I said, Sister Unbelief, obviously I didn't call her that. I called her by your name. But I said, uh, Sister Unbelief, let me just uh, make something clear to you here. You're wrong again. If Jesus meant spiritual blindness, he would have said it. The only reference Jesus gives to the spiritually blind are referring to the religious leaders who are sounding much like yourself right now. Yes, I said that. I said it respectfully, but I said it so that she had an understanding that bad doctrine will kill you. That's right. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge, and so I felt more bad for her than I felt annoyed because somebody had filled their head with these lies for all these years, and she was the sickest-looking woman I had ever seen. Looked sick, look afflict, uh, looked afflicted, whatever. But I told her, I said, 
The response that Jesus gave to John the Baptist is the proof that this is referring to physical ailments, blindness, sickness, and disease. For when John the Baptist came to the disciples of Jesus and said, Are you the one, or should we look for another? Jesus said in Luke 7.22, Go and tell John the things that you see and hear. The blind see. That's physical blind people. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor are having the gospel preached to them. Jesus puts it back in the context of Luke chapter 4. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus was referring here to physical blindness, to ailment, sickness, and disease. So Jesus was saying, I'm anointed to meet every physical need. So TJ, what Jesus was saying here is this anointing on me is to meet every material need, to meet every emotional need, to meet every financial need, I already said that with material, to meet every spiritual need, rather, and to meet every physical need. What other area would the devil attack somebody? Those are the four areas. If he's going to attack you, it's going to be in your finance. It's going to be in your emotions, your mind. It's going to be uh, in the spiritual realm concerning bondage, or it's going to be in your physical body. But Jesus said, in essence, I am anointed to undo that's all right. the work of the devil. Jesus said, this anointing on me is toxic to all the power of the devil. And everywhere that I go, people will be set free and delivered by this power that is on me. And that's why the Bible says this message about Jesus, what message? That he was anointed. There's nothing that he could not deal with by that anointing that was on him. That message spread throughout the entire region. Yeah, and that goes back to how we opened this, why you must seek to be anointed. If you're okay with people walking by, maybe you're not falling under the category of sick or poor or anything, but if you're okay with people walking by you and you're like the Pharisee or the Levite in the Good Samaritan parable and you just want to walk by and you're okay with them lying there broken and bruised on that road and that highway and you just keep on going on in your life and totally ignoring the needs and and uh, the brokenness of others, then you won't care to be anointed. But when you read what, what Evangelist Wesley just spoke of out of Luke chapter 4, that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for He has anointed me to deliver the captive, to release those that are bound, to, in Isaiah's version, Isaiah 61, to open up prison doors to those that are bound by it, to give those that are mourning the oil of joy, the Spirit of Instead of the spirit of heaviness, garlands of praise. If you're okay with just watching humanity die in front of you and you don't want to do anything about it, then this, this broadcast ain't for you and you can pass on. But if you're one of the people, and I believe that you are, and that's why the grace of God has drawn into this broadcast. If you're one of those people that you're intolerant of the devil, that you're not someone that's going to like put a coexist bumper sticker on his car. I can just coexist with hell ruling and reigning in my community. If you're one of those people that it actually irritates you and it vexes you to see the devil reign of terror over people's lives. You know, the Bible says of Paul when he was in Athens, he saw that the city had been given over to idols and he was vexed. He was grieved. He sighed deeply within him with grief. He hated the fact that the city had been given over to idols. He hated the fact that the city was bound by a deceptive spirit. He hated the fact that the enemy had a grip on the lives of those people in that region. And he moved to preach. If you're just going to watch humanity on 
a conveyor belt, drop it into a lake of fire, then you won't care to have anointing and be anointed. But if you are the type of person that says, no, I'm through with the enemy having his way in my children. I'm through with the enemy having his way in my home. Enough is enough with the enemy having his way in my generation. Like Evangelist Wesley said, another generation has risen up who has not seen the work that God did for Israel. They haven't experienced the move of God. Like Revivals of time past. They haven't seen, like uh, Evangelist Wesley read out of Luke chapter 7, Jesus, when the Bap- John the Baptist sent a delegation of disciples to him, he answered and said, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. There's a lot of people who've heard about Jesus. They've had a, some sort of exposure to the message of Jesus, but they haven't seen and heard about Jesus. The gospel is not just an oral presentation. The gospel is a show and tell, and it's the anointing that empowers us to display that. Jesus said, go and tell John the thing which you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the crippled are healed, the maimed are made whole, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are rising, and blessed is he who's not offended because of it. There's a generation that has not experienced that demonstration of power that can only come by the anointing. That's why Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words of human speech. He said, I didn't come with human wisdom. I didn't come with great preaching. I didn't come with this elaborate gift of gab sermon. I came to you in weakness and trembling, and my preaching centered in on the cross and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And my preaching was in the demonstration of the Spirit, meaning Paul let the the anointing loose in his services. He didn't just speak, he spoke. The kingdom of God is not in word only, but it is in power. And it's in that power that the captives were set free through Paul's ministry. It's in that power that you have guys like, you know, John Osteen. Everybody knows Joel Osteen, but John Osteen, his father, who founded um, Lakewood Church in Texas, you look at how that church exploded to 40,000 members. It didn't come because of good strategy. It didn't come because John Osteen was a better preacher than others. It didn't come because John Osteen had uh, some sort of elaborate... A scheme where he was gonna, he was the first to come out with flashing lights in the service or a nice fancy guitar or whatever. It came because if you watch his sermons, he would, by the anointing, call people out in the gifts of the Spirit on a Sunday service and then air it on national television and it caught the people's eye. You wanna know why we have a generation that cares not for the Bible, cares not for righteousness, cares not to. Uh, for holiness and cleanliness, you can't teach someone to be holy. You can't do it. They have to have an encounter with that anointing. And that's when the switch comes on. You want to know why we have a generation that mocks the holy things of God? You want to know how we can shut the mocker's mouth? Very simple. Acts chapter 4, the Bible says, When a miracle occurred, a great fear swept over all the land, and they dared not speak against the disciples. You want to know what's going to restore that awe and reverence for the things of God in this day and in this age? It's going to be nothing else but. It's not going to be regulations and restrictions. It's not going to be some uh, legislation that Congress comes up with. It's not going to be something developed by the White House. 
House and by the Liberal Party or the Conservative Party or the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. It's not going to be some social reformation that happens because of a politician. It's going to be a great returning to the cross and to the Bible and to righteousness and holiness will come by no other means except by a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit through the church via the anointing. That's how it's going to happen. That's how it happened in Elijah's day. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the Bible says he called down fire from heaven. You know, fire is synonymous with the anointing. The fire of God in a, in a service is like the anointing. Someone could just otherwise say the anointing was in the service tonight. When the fire fell and consumed the altar, the sacrifice on the altar, what happened? Those people who had been given over to Baal worship turned straight right back to God and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I believe we're in that generation now. There are people watching this broadcast that God is going to use greatly by the anointing. There are people like David that right now you're tending a few sheep and you're just playing a little harp and nobody's seen you but you've been faithful to God that God is going to put his special oil on hallelujah and he's going to bring you into limelight and God's going to use you to commit exploits in the land God is going to use you to tear down the pillars of lawlessness in your city and in your region and establish God's work in that place let me tell you let me read something that came into my spirit before when Wesley was speaking in Psalm 89 this is what the psalmist writes this is David speaking then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One, and you said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from my people. So the anointing will exalt you. The anointing will put you in the limelight. Limelight. The anointing, I know there's a lot of people that say, how many of you know that uh, on this earth we're not going to know the great people of God and when we get to heaven we'll find out the people who did the least for God are the ones who are going to have the greatest treasures and all that garbage. But that's not true. The fact is, is that when, when, a, when the anointing comes on a person, look at David, brought him out of shepherding a few sheep to being the exalted king of Israel, killing Goliath a few chapters later, uh, a few chapters after he gets, one chapter after he gets anointed, kills Goliath, and they, they changed the national anthem from Saul has killed his thousands to David has killed his ten thousands. It brought him to the forefront of Israel. You look at a guy like Isaiah, who was a sheep herder, I believe. And God brought him to the forefront, shifting, shifting the direction of an entire nation, used to prophesy of the coming Messiah. You look at a guy like Abraham, who was in a, born into a house of idol worshipers. The anointing came on him. And the Bible says that when he was found, he was nothing by the time God was done with him, how great of a nation he was. You look at a guy like Peter, who was a knucklehead, so not bright, was a very unrefined person but by the anointing he ends up becoming the leader of the church of jerusalem and writes many of the epistles of the new testament and uh, pioneers a move of god throughout all of jerusalem within the first chapters of acts you look at a guy like paul a murderer of the church a persecutor of christians that god puts his anointing on and the bible says the strength of that anointing grew day by day in paul by everything when everything was said and done he had totally, just the letters of Paul circulating took down the Roman Empire. I mean, when the anointing comes on someone, it, it always brings them to limelight, to the forefront. Listen to this. I have exalted one chosen from my people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. Now with whom my hand shall be established. The anointing will establish you. If you're unsettled in any area today, there's any area where you're like on a seesaw battle with the devil, 
and you haven't had lasting victory in that area, the anointing today is going to bring you an established victory, permanent deliverance and victory in Jesus' name. With whom my hand shall be established and my arm shall strengthen him. God will strengthen you by the anointing. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he'll quicken your mortal body. If there's weakness in your body today. Not, I, some people, you're not sick, you're just weak. The Bible says when God brought Israel out of Egypt, there was none feeble or sick. Not only were there none sick, there wasn't any feeble. They were strong. They were strong people. God wants to have a mysteriously strong church operating on the earth. And that's going to get done by the anointing. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body. Make alive your mortal body. Strengthen you in every area of weakness. My arm shall strengthen him. Verse 22, this is what I wanted to set her in on. The enemy will not outwit you or exact usury upon you. Or in modern conversation, this is what we would say, take advantage of you. The enemy will not be able to take advantage of you. There's too many believers that are the prey of the devil, constantly being taken advantage of uh, by the devil. That they never, they're, they're always victims, perpetually under assault. The anointing will take you from the one being slapped to the one doing the slapping. The Bible says the enemy will not outwit you, will not take advantage of you one more day, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. Going back to the enemy not outwit him. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this just came into my spirit. The Bible says that we have not received the spirit who is from this world. We have received the spirit who is from God that we may know the things freely given to us by God himself. And then he moves on to say, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, nor can he discern them, for they're spiritually discerned, but we have the mind of Christ. One of the functions of the anointing is to impart to you the mind of Christ. That whatever situation or problem that you find yourself in, whatever the enemy is trying to outwit you in, he doesn't have the ability to outwit you any longer because you're not operating by human wisdom any longer. You're not operating by intellectual wisdom. You're operating by divine wisdom. And divine wisdom will always provide you with a way out. Whatever roadblock the enemy has designed to keep you stranded in, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the anointing, the mind of Christ will provide you with a solution today in Jesus' name. You shall no longer be outwitted any longer. You will never be backed into a corner from today onward. You will not be pressured into reacting impulsively any longer. The spirit of wisdom one of the functions of the anointing is the spirit of wisdom shall operate through your life from this day onward. And the same way the, that the devil could never snatch or trap Jesus in anything that he tried to do through the Pharisees and the religious teachers, Jesus always had an answer that shame-faced his enemies. From today, you'll always have a solution and an answer that will shame-face the enemy in Jesus' name. The enemy will not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. Nor the son of wickedness afflict him. The enemy makes you unafflictable, if that's even a word. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. The enemy shall not afflict him. When you get anointed, you come out of the realm of those that can be touched into the realm of those who cannot be touched. Touch not my anointed. There's a touch not decree that comes on your life. So that leads me to say, how do you get anointed? How do you get anointed? Well, 
Firstly, when you get saved, you have an anointing from the Holy One. The Bible says in John 4 that whoever believes on Jesus out of his, out of his belly shall flow uh, everlasting waters. The scripture says in John chapter 4 that um, the time is coming that those who worship me will not worship me on that mountain, but they'll worship me in spirit and in truth. And the scripture says that if you drink of me, it shall be in you a wellspring of life flowing out into everlasting life. That's the salvation. Kenneth Hagin used to call it the well level of the anointing. Everyone that is saved operates at a well level anointing. But as Pentecostals, we don't just teach uh, that salvation is the final, you know, the final end game of it all. Salvation is, is what gets us into the kingdom of heaven. We're sealed by the blood of Jesus. We have an anointing from the Holy One. However, there's a subsequent work that is um, prior, comes after salvation, that is proven to be the case throughout the book of Acts. Paul taught it, Peter taught it, the early church taught it, called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is what Jesus described in John 7, 37 and 39. That he that believes on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost, which had not yet been given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. So salvation brings you to a well level of anointing. But a well, listen to this, a well is the term, or the strength of a well, and the quality of a well, is dependent upon the uh, environment. If there's not a lot of rain, the wells can dry up. If the environment circumstances are not optimal, the well can dry up, and the strength of that well and the usefulness of that well can dry up. A well is dependent upon what was go what's going on around. A river is not easily dry, dried up. A river takes a, a very long drought for it to dry up. The Bible says when you get saved, you have a well anointing. There's a lot of people that are saved that are dried up. They're saved, they're on their way to heaven, but they're dried up. They're always depending on other people for prayer. Keep me in prayer. Brother, would you just keep me in prayer? But when you operate by the river anointing, by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you don't dry up easy, first and foremost. And secondly, a river, a river is what powers hydroelectricity. There's power behind a river. You can't power electricity by a well. You can't power a town by a well. You can power a town through a river. In Quebec, we have hydroelectricity, Hydro-Quebec, the entire province of Quebec, and I think parts of Ontario is powered because of a, uh, a river. By a river, the strength of a river, the, the flow of the current of the river powering an entire province, an entire region of Canada. If you operate by the well anointing, you're just saved. If you're content just making it to heaven and that's all, then you can stay at that level. But if you're desiring to be used of God in your region and to bring God's power to the hurting, broken, lying, uh, sighing, dying humanity that's around you, you need to press on in to that river level of the anointing, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Then there's a third level. There's the rain. Because even a, a river is based on rain. The strength of a river and the, 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 the longevity of that river functioning is based on how much rain it absorbs. And the Bible talks about in Zechariah 10.1 that in the latter days, God will send forth the latter rain. 
that'll be a combination of the former rain and the latter rain bursting forth in the first month. And I, I, I'm telling you, in these last days, we're not, just, we're not gonna be well Christians. It's not gonna be river Christians. It's gonna be Christians that have a river bursting forth from within, powered by the latter rain of the Holy Spirit, pouring out on, on the people of God. And the greatest, the greatest outpouring of God's Spirit that the earth has ever witnessed will be in these days leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Wesley, take it away. Yeah, uh, something you said, Evangelist TJ, a few minutes back concerning the anointing giving you strength and making you, you know, exalted. And, you know, someone that the devil can't harass anymore. The anointing makes you too big for bondage. That's right. It makes you bigger than anything that can hold, grasp, harass, or try to knock or take you out. Uh, some of you that have listened to some of the older preachers that uh, we've mentioned may have heard one of the older definitions concerning the anointing being the yoke-destroying, burden-removing power of God. Now, many of you may be wondering, what in the world is a yoke? And that's a fair question because, you know, most people now, especially in our uh, industrial society, don't farm. We don't do anything like that. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27 that it will come to pass in that day that the burden shall be removed from off thy shoulder and the Hallelujah. yoke from around thy neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. The Bible says in the King James Version, that's Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. But if you have a Bible that's a newer translation, many of them will say anointing oil. Some of the more modern translations, I believe the NLT, NIV, say because of the fatness. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the fatness. What in the world does that mean? Well, the Bible says, King David in Psalm 92 says, uh, My horn you have exalted like a wild ox, or right. my strength you have exalted like a wild ox. Why? Because I have been anointed with fresh oil. Well, to understand that, we've got to understand what a yoke is. What is a yoke? A yoke was this wooden device that they would put over an oxen, which is a big beast. It's a big animal. And this yoke would allow the taskmaster uh, uh, master or the farmer, whatever, to pull that big animal in whichever way it wanted it to go. Isn't that just like the devil, how he operates? To pull and command people to do what he wants them to do. And with this yoke, the animal would often pull a burden, whatever it had to plow or whatever. And so the burden would be heavy. And we've all seen people that are burdened. What? They're weighed down. They look distressed, whatever. But the Bible says it shall come to pass in that day. What day? The day when the anointed one and his anointing showed up. Jesus said that day was fulfilled in Luke chapter 4. Interesting. The yoke would be destroyed because of the fat. What in the world? That doesn't make any sense. But when you understand Psalm 92, what you understand is King David said, my strength has been expanded or my strength has increased. Why? Because I have been anointed with fresh oil. And one of the symbols or signs of the anointing of the Holy Ghost is the fresh outpouring of oil. The word anoint literally means to rub or to smear with consecrated holy oil. Like when King David was anointed, which uh, Evangelist TJ talked about a little bit back, that's what happened. The prophet poured the holy consecrated oil 
over him. And he was anointed from that day forward the king of Israel. And so what the Bible is saying here is, there is a power in God, hear me, that makes you bigger and stronger than the bondage. An oxen is already a big animal. But if an oxen's strength increased and that thing got fat and it got muscular, what would happen to that yoke that was placed around its neck? That thing would snap and it would fall off and it would be utterly destroyed. That's what the Bible is saying. This anointing will cause you to grow in such strength and power in God that no bondage will be able to hold you any longer. And that's what happens. Just one touch. Type that in the comments. One touch. Not 95 steps. God has a one-step program. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's no 12 steps in God. One touch from the power of the Holy Ghost can set you free. Why? Hallelujah. That yoke would be, uh, will be rather, destroyed. And so if there's no longer a yoke of bondage that the devil can place around your neck, what else can he harass or oppress you with? And that's exactly what the Bible says in 1 John, the ministry and the purpose of Jesus coming was. For this reason was the Son of God made manifest, or for this reason did Jesus come into the world, that he might utterly destroy all the works of the devil, or bring to nothing all the works of the devil. And just one touch, hear me, from the power of God is all it takes to break every yoke of bondage. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 19, I believe, that the whole multitude sought to touch him. Why? Because power came from him and healed them all. What power? The Spirit upon. The power of the Holy Ghost. That power which uh, evangelist uh, T.J. read, Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. This power of the anointing, friend, will break whatever it is. Think about it. What has hell forged against you? What is it you're battling with that you should not be battling with one more day? There was a woman that Jesus encountered who had been bent over double by a spirit of infirmity. She had a, some type of issue where she was literally like halved, very weird type of, of uh, infirmity. 18 years. And Jesus showed up on the scene and told her, woman, you are loosed of your infirmity. That's what the anointing does. The anointing literally unbinds or unties a person from whatever bondage the devils tried to attach to them. For 18 years, Satan had that woman yoked and burdened with sickness. In one second, with one declaration of the anointed word of God, Jesus declared, Woman, thou art loosed. And immediately, the Bible says, she stood up. And isn't it just like the devil? All the religious people said, you can't do this. You can't operate this way. Religion hates the anointing. Why? Because religion prospers and flourishes in bondage. Religion wants you. As evangelist TJ said, to be a perpetual prayer project. Oh, please pray for me. Help me, help me, whatever. The anointing will make you distinguishable. Where that's no right. longer are you the one that's always needing help, but you are the one seeking out actively where are human beings that are bound by the devil so that I can set them free by the power of the Holy Ghost that's on me. And Jesus said, should not this daughter of Abraham 
someone that was in the covenant with God, be set free from this bondage of the devil. Jesus said 18 years was 18 years too long. And it doesn't matter how long you've been dealing with the problem, how many prayer lines you've been in, whatever. Today is your day of deliverance. I know that the name of TJ's ministry is Salvation Now. Why? Everything God does is right now. Today is your appointed day of deliverance. Today is your appointed day of salvation. Why? Because Jesus said some 2,000 years ago in Luke chapter 4, today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. The anointing's here. The anointed one is here. There is no longer a bondage that can hold anybody because I'm on the scene now, and everywhere that I go, people will get set free, and everywhere that my followers go, people will get set free because the same anointing that was on Jesus Christ, Jesus gave to us. And as TJ said, Luke 24, Jesus said, tarry ye in Jerusalem, or in, in modern language, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What power? The same power that Luke chapter 4 said was upon Jesus, the anointing. The same power that Peter, when he preached to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, said was upon Jesus, the power of the Holy Ghost, the anointing. So you could use the phrases anointing, power of the Holy Spirit, fire of God interchangeably, because at the end of the day, they're all referring to this same thing. The tangible, which means that this anointing can be felt. Uh, there was a woman in Mark chapter 5 that had an issue of blood. And the Bible says she sought to touch Jesus. Why? She had heard the good news about him. What was the good news? Hey, this guy's anointed. One touch from his hand is resolving the problems of people all over the earth. One touch from him and everything's going to turn around. So the Bible says that she sought to touch him, grab the hem of his garment, and she felt within herself that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, the Bible says in Mark chapter 5, feeling power go out of him, said, who touched me? So we know that this anointing is tangible, and we also know that this anointing is transferable. What does that mean? That it can flow freely from one vessel to another. Why? Because Jesus, uh, when that woman touched him, that power came out of him. There was a transfer. That right. tells us that this is not mystical. You know, I, I think I can feel the anointing, brother. No, the anointing is a real spiritual substance. It is the substance of the Holy Ghost. So much so that when Paul the Apostle laid hands on handkerchiefs, or some believe that simply because he would make tents sometimes in his spare time when he wasn't preaching, he had this belt around him, that people would just come up to him and steal his cloths. Imagine that. Imagine being stolen from because people know, hey, there's something on this guy. If you can just get a cloth even that's touched his skin and you bring that to a sick person, you bring that to someone vexed by a devil, they will immediately get set free. Talk about the overflow of the anointing. You know, TJ, it, it uh, reminds me of the Apostle Peter. The Bible says that they would even lay people in the That's streets, right. that even the shadow of Peter would touch him, that they would be healed. Talk about strange right. manifestations of the Holy Ghost. He had such an overflow of that anointing upon him that even his shadow, hear me, even his shadow, if it would touch the people, they would be healed. 
That is the power of God. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a superimposing power that whenever it shows up on the scene, everything not like God has to leave for free. There's no begging. There's no spiritual warfare. Hallelujah. There's no 90 flags waved at 88 degrees so that we can get the Psalm 88 anointed miracle. That None of that's in the Bible. The moment you encounter this power, every devil leaves for free. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, when he had showed up, on, uh, showed up in the synagogue after he had been anointed, demons just started manifesting. They would just start shrieking and screaming the moment he stepped on the scene. Why? Because they knew, uh-oh, the superior power is here. The anointed one is here. And let me tell you, friend, Jesus never changed. Hebrews 13 and verse 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have a greater ability now because jesus said i'm going away to the father but it's to your advantage that i go for if i stay i cannot send to you the helper the helper is the holy spirit the paraclete the divine come alongside and if jesus needed the anointing of the holy spirit to do everything that he did how much more do we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if we are going to do, as the Bible says in John 14 and verse 12, the same works that Jesus right. did and greater works than these. We're going to need that same power, that same anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And, you know, there's a lot of Christian circles that they, they believe that now the anointing no longer functions like that in power, but that it's more administrative the, the anointing will give you strategies, and it doesn't function quite like it did in the early church, but it's more administrative, and know how to delegate tasks, you know, like almost like, like the, the Holy Spirit's become an entrepreneur now, and he doesn't do those things anymore, but the anointing hasn't changed, and I like how you finished off by saying that scripture in uh, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The anointing is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God can't change. There's a few things that are impossible for God to do. One, it's impossible for God to sin. And two, it's impossible for God to lie. And three, it's impossible for God to change. Three things God cannot do. I know a lot of people say He can do anything, but there's three things He can't do. He can't sin. He can't lie, and he can't change. And look at what the anointing did. I'm going to read two scriptures, and I feel the anointing very strong right now. We're going to pray right after this, and we're going to set our faith that people that are watching this broadcast, no matter what the name you can give to the demon at work in your life, I don't care what they named it. I don't care what the doctors called it. I don't care if they call it cancer, diabetes, fibromyalgia, multiple cirrhosis, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia. I don't care if they call it poverty. I don't care what they call it. We're going to believe God and set our faith in the moments to come that the anointing, the same one that functioned through, through Jesus and through the apostle Paul, that like he said, handkerchiefs and aprons, not even his hands, just handkerchiefs and aprons, the transference of that anointing into people, into other vessels, loosened or untied the enemy's lasso that he had lassoed them up with. I believe that same, that same result is, gonna, is going to uh, manifest in your life, that same product, that same exact that same anointing, same results. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 14, 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized them, and remember, Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the anointing 
flowing and operating on the earth. That's, that's who Jesus was. He is the anointed one, the Christ. He is the embodiment of the anointing. And listen to what happened. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might just touch. Evangelist Wesley talked about one touch from God. Listen to this. It doesn't say Jesus was touching them. Ooh, we're touching something now. It didn't say Jesus was touching them. It says they touched him. Didn't say they, he was touching them. It says they touched him. There's a lot of people are waiting. We're waiting on God, just waiting on God to move. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the great sayings and quotes that he said was, when the Holy Ghost doesn't move me, I move him. You got to learn to steer miracles up for your own life. You got to learn to get out of this whole, my breakthrough is coming and start to put a demand on the anointing. That woman with the issue of blood put a demand on the anointing. She didn't say, my, you know, if he wants to touch me, he'll, in his timing, God is sovereign. No, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be made well. These people must have heard, because Matthew chapter 9 is where the woman with the issue of blood is healed. This is Matthew chapter 14, and I think this is chronological. So they must have heard of her story, and it stirred up, generated the same faith. That was in her via her testimony. And they went and touched the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it. Not, and as many as it was God's will for them. To, no, as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Then you skip to Matthew chapter 15 verse 29. And Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee. And went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came to him having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed and many others with them. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them all. So the multitudes marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seen. And they glorified the God of Israel. Same exact works, different city, different village. Now listen to this, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke, the 5th chapter and the 17th verse. Matter of fact, let's start with the 15th verse. However, the report around, went around concerning Jesus all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and be healed by him of their infirmities. That's why we took an hour and 10, an hour and 20 minutes to teach on the anointing. Because it's not they came to just be healed. They came to hear. You have to be taught. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. If you're going to have faith and place a demand on the anointing, you have to hear what the anointing can do. It's hearing what the anointing can do for you that a faith comes alive in you to actually stretch forth and touch the hem of that garment to receive those things in your life. However, the report went around concerning him all the more and great multitudes came to to hear Jesus and be healed by him of their infirmities. So he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching and preaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's the anointing. As he was teaching and preaching, the power of the Lord was present. To heal, restore, deliver, set free. And that's exactly what I feel God's about to do right now. I feel the anointing very strong as Evangelist Wesley was preaching and teaching on, uh, on, on the anointing in the last couple of minutes. He started to tackle, you know, stretching forth, touching the hem of the garment, giving different types of stories and different scenarios in the scripture. That woman bent over double when she came into the synagogue. One touch from Jesus and she was made straight. God's going to do that. Whatever's, 
crooked in your body will be made straight. And whatever's crooked in your life, the anointing will make every crooked place straight and every rough path smooth. I'm going to have Evangelist Wesley pray right, uh, right now. And I want you, as you do, I've always quoted this on this broadcast, Proverbs chapter 3, do not, God's instructions to us in our dealings with other men, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do so. Don't tell them, go back and come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you have power to help them today. God instructed us that if we have the power to help someone right now, we shouldn't tell them and, uh, that we're postponing our help for them. We shouldn't procrastinate, neither should we postpone our help for them. If God told us that that's how we should deal with fellow men and fellow women, then how much more do you suppose He deals with us in, the, in like manner? God's not postponing your breakthrough. God's not a hypocrite. He wouldn't tell us to act a certain way towards people and then not act that certain way towards us. God will not push off till tomorrow. He's not withholding good from those to whom it is due. There's not going to be more power in the anointing tomorrow than there is today. There's not going to be more willingness in God's heart to help you tomorrow than there is to help you today. And there's not going to be more love in God's heart for you tomorrow than there is in God's heart for you today. And so I want you to target your faith as evangelist Wesley prays. For whatever the enemy, whatever rope, you know, one of the, we, Evangelist Wesley said, one of the symbols of the anointing, especially in the Old Testament, is fire. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire came on them. God said, I'm an all-consuming fire. When Samson had been tied and bound with two new ropes, and he was the object of mockery for the Philistine camp, they were going to kill him. He prayed and said, God, send your fire. And in that moment, the fire of God came and burnt off the ropes from his hands and he was set free. If any sin like ropes has caught and entangled you, the fire of God by the anointing of the Spirit today is going to burn it off. If any sickness is resident in your body and has just ripped out the health of your youth and you've lost vitality, and you're green in your face, pale in your face, no strength, no energy. Whatever sickness has targeted your body, has damaged organs in you, by the anointing today, the fire of God is going to burn it out of your system. And I don't want you to look for a feeling. I don't want, now the anointing can be felt. That woman with the issue of blood felt in her body that she had been made well. But I don't want you to necessarily look for a feeling. Some of you may feel a heat. Some of you may feel... Uh, coldness, some of you may feel electricity. When I got healed, it was electricity. Some of you may feel something, but the emphasis is not on feeling. I'd much rather be healed than feel something. I'd much rather be healed. And so we're putting our emphasis on what God has said and what the anointing can do. So I want you to target your faith right now as Evangelist Wesley prays. Absolutely. Yeah, as, uh, as Evangelist uh, TJ was saying, the anointing, as uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin used to teach, is activated by faith. That's right. Faith activates the anointing. That's why that woman in Mark 5 received, and nobody else in the crowd that was thronging him received. Why? She had faith. I know if I touch him, if I put my hand out in faith, I will be healed. That's right. And so I know that there's those of you watching right now, that's you. You're saying, I'm ready. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I understand. I can be delivered now. And the anointing knows no distance. There's no distance in the spirit. 
Just ask the man that told Jesus, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. I know if you just speak the word, my servant shall be healed. And so as we pray right now, and as we declare by the power of the Holy Ghost, your deliverance, your healing, whatever you need, I want you to set your faith with me that the moment we pray, this thing is going to be done. Not in 10 years, 20 years, now. God is the God of right now. That's right. Well, what about God's timing? God's timing is right now. Now faith so is. wherever you are, if you're able, I want you to lift your hands as a sign to the Lord, a visible sign, an act of faith Hallelujah. that you're ready to receive right now. That you believe everything is going to change. If you're driving or whatever, you know, don't do that, but focus in by the Spirit. If you're watching by the replay, whatever. I want you to lift your hands wherever you are, and I'm going to pray that God sends this mighty power called the anointing through the airwaves of this broadcast to wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, and you're going to get set free right now from whatever area Jesus has authority over every area. Ready? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above everything that's harassing the one on the other side of this lens, that they would be delivered now by the power of the Holy Ghost. I curse sickness by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I curse poverty by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I curse that attack on your mind by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And Father, I pray, send now the fire of God to wherever they are. And I thank you, now they are delivered. Now, in Jesus' name, not in 20 years, God, I thank you. You are the God of right now. And I can feel it by the Spirit. Instantaneous deliverance is taking mm. place worldwide as people are tuned into this right now in Jesus' name. There's a woman specifically I feel by the Spirit. I don't know what it is. Issue with the shoulder. God's touching it right now. Make sure you get the testimony to, to TJ's ministry, comment somehow, whatever. God's doing it right now. Test it out. Do whatever you couldn't do before. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that this thing is sealed and done by the power of God. They shall never be the same in Jesus' name. Now, if you're watching this and you're saying, well, I don't really need to be delivered. I just want a, a, a touch of God. Or maybe you've never received, as evangelist TJ said, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. God's going to give that to you right now. Ready? Lift your hands or keep them lifted. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would touch every single one that's hungry today with the mighty fire and the power of God. I thank you, God, if there's someone that has not ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit, by faith they receive right now. And they begin to operate by a powerful, fiery anointing. I pray that from this broadcast, a new generation of faith and victory preachers are risen up that bring this message of Jesus Christ to a generation that there is nothing too hard for God and that there's nothing that the devil's done that God can't turn around by his power right now. In Jesus' name we have prayed, everybody says, or typed rather, amen. You know, one of the functions, and we talked about it briefly in quoting Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, or actually it's Isaiah 61, Luke doesn't, doesn't um, detail this part. But Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for He's anointed me to, the anointing comes to, doesn't come to just put the hair on the back of your neck up, it comes to do something, to accomplish a purpose. And one of the purposes listed in Isaiah 61 is instead of the spirit of heaviness, to give you garlands of praise, 
and instead of mourning, to give you the oil of joy. Oil is symbolic of the anointing. Joy is an anointing. Joy is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Joy is, a, is an anointing. Happiness is a feeling. It can come and go. Um, sorrow, sadness is a feeling. It can come and go. But joy is an, is a, is an anointing. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.9, Because thou hast hated lawlessness and loved righteousness, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of joy above all thy fellows. And I feel in my spirit, there are people watching right now, that you, uh, 2022, just knocked the wind out of your sails. And your joy, your joy tank has been depleted. And if you were honest with me and say, I don't remember the last time I actually smiled with sincerity and authenticity, that it's always been some superficial smile that's been uh, camouflaging my sorrowed, hurt heart. And the enemy's worked overtime to try and drag you down and put on you heaviness. And even some, some, some watching right now, suicidal thoughts and suicidal uh, feelings which you've never had before, you've never experienced before, but all of a sudden it's just something comes on you and you have these thoughts and depressive thoughts. And uh, there's some days you don't want to get out of bed. Some, some days you just want to stay in bed, cuddle up and shut the lights. That's no way to live. I said it before, the anointing was not given to you so you can just endure life and just bear the attack. The anointing was given to you to break free from the attack and enjoy life. I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And so I'm going to pray now that the oil of joy, David said, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over, that the oil of joy will be, will will come on you in a lavish manner where your cup will overflow with joy, that you'll have overflowing joy bubbling forth from your spirit, man, that you'll, you'll laugh again. You'll laugh. You'll have a new song in your spirit. The captivity that the enemy held you and you'll come out of it and God will make you to laugh again in Jesus' mighty name. Father, in Jesus' name, those watching all across this globe, I ask you now, put in them, put in them that oil of joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. A joy that the world can never give them and the world can never take from them. In Jesus' name. You said these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be full in you. Put your joy in them. Not a human joy. Not an earthly joy. Heavenly joy. Bubbling up out of their spirits in Jesus' name. Father, may they laugh all through 2023. May they laugh their way from miracle to miracle all through 2023. Father, that if the first 11 months of this year have been characterized by tragedy and loss, I ask you, Lord, that in December, you would make them to laugh again. In Jesus' name, that you would give them reason for rejoicing. That by Christmas time, they'd sit around their table with their loved ones and family members and have just list off testimony after testimony as to what you did just in the month of December. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, I see the oil of joy being poured out on your, on your home, on your life. Weeping endured for the night, joy is coming in this new morning. In the name of Jesus, sackcloth of sorrow is being ripped off your back and garlands of praise, garments of praise are coming on you right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Like the psalmist said, in thy presence is fullness of joy and pleasures at your right hand forevermore. 
You shall laugh in Jesus' mighty name. The fullness of joy that comes by the presence of God is coming on you right now. In the name of Jesus. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.